Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a career development podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, looking to change your perspective, or just rediscover your why. I'm your host, Harsha Borolesa, and this podcast came about from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. In each episode, I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them about their career journey, their real life experiences, and to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you to take a fresh look at your career and assist you on your path to a more successful and fulfilling career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. The times I did try to be strategic just failed fantastically. <laughs> Ask ourselves the really simple questions like, what do I love to do? What gives me energy? What do I get excited about? Okay, if I'm not kind of moving in that direction, why not? If I'm not fundamentally taking care of myself, I'm not able to show up at work. I'm not able to show up in my relationships um, as my best self. What am I doing here that's provoking this reaction <laughs> in the other person? Nothing to me replaces prioritizing, taking that time um, to take care of ourselves. Thank you so much for joining me today in episode 36 of the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. I'm delighted to welcome my friend, Kelly Hearn. Hi, Kelly. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Harsha. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. Before we begin, I wanted to thank all the supporters of the podcast and YouTube channel, in particular, the listeners in the U.S., which is 23% of the total downloads, and also the YouTube channel, which has now just passed 150 subscribers and 7,000 views. Please like, comment, or share if you enjoy the content. Today's episode looks at mental wellness and mental health in general terms. If this raises any specific issues, please do contact a suitable professional for advice. Now back to the show. Kelly spent the first two decades of her professional life in the left-brain world of finance. After completing an MBA at Columbia Business School in New York, she moved to London to help establish one US investment fund and then another in Europe. At some point along the way, Kelly turned her analytical focus away from spreadsheets and annual reports to the existential questions of everyday life. Kelly spent two years pursuing writing as a means for exploration while completing an MA in creative nonfiction writing at City University, London. She then trained at the Centre for Counselling and Psychotherapy Education, CCPE, in London. A registered member of the BACP and UKCP, Kelly has wide experience working with individual, couple and corporate clients within the NHS, private practice and at the School of Life. She is also an avid sanity walker and yogi. She is currently the co-founder of Examined Life, which is a collective of therapists committed to innovation in the theory and practice of psychotherapy. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks so much. So, Kelly, um, I'm a big fan of the arts. Is there a performer, song, book or film which you'd like to share? And it doesn't have to be obscure. Sure. And it's, it's difficult to pull apart just one, pull out just one. But one that made a big impact on me when I first read it in my mid-20s and I returned to periodically is Rainer Maria Rilke's Letters to a Young Poet. So just 
addresses so much timeless wisdom from the perspective of, of everyday life. So these big themes of, you know, not needing to know the answers immediately. There's this great phrase he had about living the questions and also, you know, not looking outward for all the answers, taking the time to, to turn inwards and related to that, the importance of solitude and getting comfortable sitting in our own skin for hours on end. We had a lot of practice that during the pandemic. So a lot of these things you were talking about, just they were a great support to me, a great comfort to me at a time when I was trying to figure things out. And I'm always trying to figure things out. So I, I go back to it time and time again. And I, I just love that, Katie. There are so many interesting themes coming out of that, this whole idea mm-hmm. of being comfortable in your own skin. And I believe a lot mm-hmm. of our problems, um, obviously there are material issues, but a lot of the problems do come from just anxiety or nervousness about yourself and your place yeah. in the world. And, you know, am I succeeding? Uh, am I in the right relationship? Uh, happiness? A number of things you can work towards finding solutions if you figure out the inner game and figure out mm. your place in the world. And, and and actually, I think in life, you can get by with a lot less than you realize. But uh, yeah. And that makes life a lot easier. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As you say, I think we can get a little bit um, in chronic high alert, all these questions, trying to figure things out and kind of chronic thinking, addictive thinking, and and we're uncomfortable sitting in the uncertainty. That's what Rilke addresses, right? That we have to be able to, to sit with the uncertainty. And, and that's just profoundly uncomfortable for all of us. Um, but to to build a practice in that, to, to really ground ourselves and calm ourselves down and realize we can survive it a bit, it's just, uh, it makes going through life a lot easier than the, the cycle of just more thinking, more thinking, more strategizing, more analyzing, more planning. I get anxious even just talking like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well let, let's not go there <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so, so getting back to the beginning uh, obviously you have a bachelor's yeah. from the university of pennsylvania and an mba from yeah. columbia and i'm highly mm-hmm. envious as i would have loved to have gone to columbia i actually went mm-hmm. on a, a like an open day there and i loved the campus mm. it was so nice um did, yeah it's you ha- a great place yeah did you have a particular career strategy or did you, things just involve in your career Mm. It's kind of a combination of the two, really. So I was always, I've always been quite curious and kind of following what what gathers my attention. So, so uh, just to give you some examples of that. Early on, I had this really early love affair with France and everything French. So the the language, the food, the art, the literature, and so when given the option, do you want to study Spanish or French? Of course, I did French, even though I grew up in California. And why would you possibly study French in California when Spanish is basically the second language, given the proximity to Mexico. But I just, I was, I was in love with French culture. And so I had some idea that at some point in my life, I would live in Paris. So I need to study French. And so it wasn't a firm plan, but there was just, I, I migrated towards that. So of course, at some point I did a study abroad in Paris. And, and now of course, because I live in London, the, the opportunities to go to Paris are plentiful. So that's great. And when it comes to business school and, and all of that, I think, again, just very early on, I was fortunate to have a great economics uh, teacher when I was in, in high school, so secondary school. And and he was so passionate about it. He was a retired businessman and he brought all of his experience and enthusiasm. And it just, I was immediately gripped as you know, economics was just a really interesting lens with which to view the world. So I just pursued that interest more than anything and thought, okay, business school probably makes sense for me at at some point. Um, But it wasn't a really concrete plan. And in fact, you know, some things 
that I tried out didn't go to plan. And, and it was just kind of keeping myself in the, the, I guess, the flow of the subjects that were interesting to me and, and, and see where that led me. And I, I think that's a really nice, um, you know, I really like hearing that, Kelly, because I think, you know, a lot of people think you have to have like a grand plan from the beginning and you have to have your sort of life and career mapped out. But but actually, sure. I think what was interesting about you is that you looked at what you like, you you went with that um, and obviously the, the French and, and then the finance. But then obviously mm-hmm. there were bumps, but you you, you just went, went with the flow and navigated things. So I think sometimes it, it, our careers are... Can I actually, Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump in, but actually, I was just going to say the times I did try to be strategic just failed fantastically. <laughs> so I'll give you an example between undergrad and graduate school. You know, in in the U.S., we typically don't go directly to business school. They like you to have something one to four years of experience. And so, right, you know, I'm not going directly to business school. So I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to go into consulting or banking because that will make me a really good candidate for business school. I didn't get any offers in consulting <laughs> or banking because I was competing against these kids who did business undergrad. They went to the Wharton School. I did the college. So the, the banks and consulting firms didn't want me. I was bummed out about that for about a month before I picked myself up and, and decided, okay, now it's time to take that gap year that we don't do in the U.S. And so I took myself off and became did a volunteer program teaching in Russia for a year, which was a fantastically interesting experience. And ironically, probably made me more attractive to business schools because so many applicants were coming from consulting and banking. So it was kind of, in hindsight, it worked out you know, in my interest. But the one time I tried to be really strategic about it, I failed fantastically. So... <laughs> And, and, I find that amusing. Yeah, and, and I think that's a great point that, yeah, this whole idea of you're having this linear career, everything sort of goes in a particular way. If you do mm-hmm. have these bumps, you just have to pivot and adjust mm-hmm. and there's no point looking back. And and I suppose for you, once you got a, the, the rejection out of your system, you went off mm-hmm. in this different direction, which actually worked mm-hmm. out well for you. Yeah, I think we can get overly fixated on thinking there's one right path or one right answer here like oh I see clients who get stuck and I don't know what to do because I don't know if I should do this or that and I'm like they're both good choices and that's what makes it hard right and and so take one path and and you'll develop some qualities and get some experiences and maybe that will prove where you want to stay and if not as you say you can pivot but it's not there's not one route we got to kind of figure our way out and and not get too caught up if something doesn't go our way because it's just about okay well what's what's important for me now and what's another way that I can can address that or, or learn that or, or be in that path right now. So, so to some extent, it's really about just taking action and, and then see what happens. And look, if it doesn't work out, adjust. Um, would you say it's broadly correct? Stay open and flexible. <laughs> open and flexible. <laughs> and follow the interests, right? Again, one of those I think to a certain extent, it's natural early on in our lives to be externally motivated, right? We have to figure out how to be to survive in our family of origin, to get the grades at school, to be an accepted member of society. All right, some amount of, you know, being externally motivated makes sense. We're, we're social animals. We need to belong. But at some point, we need to stop following the rules and the, the externally set paths and say, okay, what's important to me? And, and ask ourselves the really simple questions like, what do I love to do? What gives me energy? What do I get excited about? Okay, if I'm not kind of moving in that direction, why not? <laughs> Yeah, I, I just love that, Kelly, and I, I'm feeling fired up myself listening to all of this. 
good. <laughs> so, so after Columbia, um, you worked in the investment management industry. Um, mm-hmm. How did you find that? And obviously, it's quite a stressful environment to be in. Um, how how mm-hmm. did you manage the, the stress? Right. So there are kind of two chapters in that. One very short one. I started out on the sell side at an investment bank, JP Morgan in New York. I was doing sell side um, equity research in 1999. And then I moved to both London and the buy side after a year of doing banking. And I think those were really different environments. And and the year in New York, you know, working in an investment bank in Manhattan, it was, there wasn't a lot of flexibility in my schedule. Now, it didn't bother me too much at the time. I was young. I was energetic. I was so excited to be there. It was 1999. It was before the crash. <laughs> it was exciting times, right? But I think I intuited this. That was a great sprint, but that kind of lifestyle wasn't going to support me for the, the marathon of life. So when I moved to London, I mean, culturally, it's a bit different anyway. It's, it's a bit more balanced over here. <laughs> um, but I, I really made a commitment to myself and it, that I was going to... Um, I don't know, do things a bit differently. And and in hindsight, I backed my way into what would today be called a, a health or a mental health regime, right? So I prioritize, I've always been a big walker. I call them, as you said in, in the intro, my sanity walks. So when I'm stressed or confused or just dysregulated in any way, shape or form, I, I pound the pavement and we're blessed here in London have the most beautiful parks, I think, in the world. So that was really helpful, my walking. I took up yoga when I arrived in in London. That's been a huge part of my life for the last 20 plus years. But basically, if if I could boil it down to a few things, I make time for something physical every day, some kind of moving my body and daily, some kind of quieting the mind. Now that can be journaling, that can be meditating, it can be breathing, it can be drawing, anything that just gets us out of where we started with all these strategizing and questions and, and the kind of addictive thinking that our minds can go to. And some kind of, of inspiration, kind of feeding myself something that, that uplifts me. I think we're all so inundated with um, scary news and heavy news and worries and fears that we need to intentionally focus on things that uplift us. So some kind of gladdening the mind. And, and for me, you know, whether it's the words of Rilke or Rumi or more contemporary poets like Mary Oliver or David White. That to me is where I go, but something to, to inspire the mind. So, so those three things, some kind of movement, some kind of quieting the mind, some kind of inspiration on a daily basis are, are pretty fundamental to me managing my own, my own health and, and throw in a healthy dose of therapy with that. So I'm, I'm not just a therapist. I've been a, a client in therapy for, for years and years. I'm, I believe in in the merits of it, so that can be a real help as well. Yeah, and I just love that the whole idea of you know the self care, taking time for yourself, because I think mm-hmm. people get so fixated about their jobs, and you know, you know, a lot of us are very competitive. We are driven. We've, we're successful. We want to do well, um, and sometimes you, know, you can't always win. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, and I think identifying yourself with your job, if things go wrong, then you know, there, there's some real problems there. Whereas if on mm-hmm. on the outside, potentially you can have uh, these things you know that you like doing which give you joy because actually mm-hmm. life isn't just about working is it so no, having these outside interests really changes your uh, uh perspective on on life 
Mm-hmm. Well, there's outside interests for sure, which are important, but also what you addressed um, uh, just before and in terms of self-care, which I think we've really, that's become the buzzword, right? It, it's such an important part of the everyday vernacular uh, during the pandemic and, and afterwards. I think our whole view of it has changed from nice to have to need to have, right? And that's been a big shift that I, I think, again, largely because of the pandemic, it had us take a step back and realize, gosh, we've been those those frogs, the proverbial frogs in the pot. And, you know, that the water started boiling and we didn't even realize how unhealthy some of these ways we organize our lives have become. But then the pot started boiling over, you know, and when people were... I'm sure you heard the phrase many times as well, that we were not working from home, we're sleeping in the office. And all of a sudden, you know, there was overwhelm and there was burnout. And it's just like, uh-uh, we can't do this anymore. And there's been a really healthy, from my perspective, shift to these things are not just, you know, nice to have. They are absolutely essential. This isn't me being self-indulgent or selfish. This is saying, if I'm not fundamentally taking care of myself, I'm not able to show up at work. I'm not able to show up in my relationships um, as my best self or as, even as my functioning self. I think that's what, you know, as you'll know, burnout and overwhelm have been two other big um, features of, of recent months. And so it's it's really highlighted the importance of some of these things we might have said before, oh, I don't have time for that. And no, we we make time for these things now. And, and I think if you're self-aware and you sort of pay attention to your body and to yourself, I think when mm-hmm. you're coming to those um, moments where you're overtired or just you can't function, you just have to say time out and, you mm-hmm. know, however important that thing is, just give yourself uh, a chance to rest and recuperate because you can always yeah. reschedule a meeting, but, you know, you just don't want to go uh, over, uh, over that boundary where you do yourself some real harm, do you? Yeah. Well, it's also just a healthy recognition or a realistic recognition that you're not going to do your best work like that. You're just not. So don't fight it. <laughs> if you want to be doing your best work, uh, you, you can't be showing up sleep, sleep deprived or overstressed. So it's about getting yourself in a healthy place first to put your best foot forward afterwards. <laughs> Brilliant. And, and obviously after a very successful career in finance where you became a managing director, you decided to move in a different direction towards uh, mm-hmm. coaching and psychotherapy. Um, mm-hmm. How has that transition been, um, Kelly? Long, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> you know, a lot of people hear that I was, you know, in investment management and then psychotherapy as if it, you know, I decided one day I was going to become a therapist and that was that. It's, it was the better part of a, of a 10-year process, right? Um, and as you, you mentioned kind of in my bio at the outset, um, there, there's a lot of steps in between here and there. So I think it was some around kind of late 30s and then 40, I, I started to question, you know, do I want really want to be doing this for the rest of my life? I, I really enjoyed it. But, you know, there's a good 20, 30 years still ahead. And, and that's a whole nother career, right? So I was sitting with a lot of those questions. And um, the way I think through questions often is, is writing. So I thought, okay, right, I'm going to, I'm going to write a lot, I'm going to do this as you said, uh, to your master's in uh, creative nonfiction writing. And that, um, I didn't plan it this way, but it turned into what I call an honorary degree in psychology, because what I chose to write about was a lot of psychological theory and applying that theory both to myself and to other aspects of other people's lives and human development. So 
um, yeah, it became this two-year study of, of psychological theory. And then I thought, well, this is, this is really fascinating. So I'm going to keep going with this. And um, I stumbled across a, a four-year program in counseling and, and psychotherapy. And I thought, oh my gosh, you'll have another four years. Do I really want to be in school for this long again? <laughs> but I, I love school. So I thought, you know what, don't, you're just doing this for yourself. You, you don't need to commit to the four years. Just keep going as long as you find it interesting. That's, that, I keep coming back to this. Keep keep following the energy. Keep following the interest and see where it leads you. And um, and it just got more and more interesting. And as part of the the process, being a student in psychotherapy, you you start giving therapy yourselves. You're you're a volunteer therapist. And so I accumulated hours and hours and hours of, of being a therapist and just found that work incredibly enjoyable, incredibly. Um, meaningful and and thought, yeah, I think this might be the new it for me. And so that's that's kind of how the the migration happened. But yeah, it was over the better part of, of <laughs> ten years. So um, so that's that. No, no, and I'm glad you mentioned to to our listeners that you didn't just wake up one day and then became a therapist. Um, mm. Obviously, it took time. You put the work in, um, and I think there are a couple of interesting points there. Firstly, it's about doing the work. Um, you know, you have to put the work in to become good at at anything, and put the mm-hmm. commitment in, but also the the interest, and you didn't view it as. Uh, a, a job that you were going to do, you followed your interest and passion to some extent, and then you became good. But also, it's about the long game to some extent, because, you know, you have to think, um, you know, rather than in the short term, how do I transition? You thought about it over a long term period. So I think there's some really interesting points coming out of your transition from finance to um, what you're doing now. Well, I think there's something also if if a prolonged period of retraining puts you off. I mean, if you're not interested in what the training is, that gives you some clue about how you're going to feel about the actual job, right? So I enjoyed the training. So it was, yeah, it was long. And you're like, oh, gosh, it's a financial commitment. It's a time commitment. But ultimately, that's how I enjoyed spending my time learning about this. So I, I think that's important information. If a, if a training program or some of the steps required to pivot to a new career put you off, then that's, that's telling you that maybe this isn't, isn't the right path. I think that's important information, to be honest with yourself about that. Yeah, no, I think I think that that's that's a brilliant point there, and and sort of just going on to sort of mental health in the w- workplace. Obviously, that's been getting a lot of attention recently, uh, particularly obviously during COVID and the pandemic. Um, how do you see things changing when we look at work and and the whole idea of managing our careers? Mm-hmm. Um, something that I've already mentioned, which is this greater importance we're placing on on our mental health and our health more broadly. So I think that's. Um, the, the the movement to the important seeing the importance of this and prioritizing this that's that's a big shift and I've already referenced that and I think that comes from both sides it comes from the individual side it also comes from from the employer side where there's some appreciation that we can't just tell people to buckle up and you know be more resilient that actually we need to look at the conditions that we're um, providing for people to work in and this isn't just you know, sometimes people think, oh, you know, it's it's not just a moral consideration. There's a business reason for this as well, as I think companies are, are realizing that with absenteeism and presenteeism, it's just companies themselves, the employers themselves are taking it a bit more seriously, which I, I, I think is helpful. So from both sides, you have the individuals 
taking it a bit more seriously. You have the company's early steps, but starting to to realize the basic things like always on culture, we're starting to question that kind of this meetings culture, schedule more and more meetings without any um, consideration for people's time limitations, um, creating a, a civil environment, right? It's incredibly destabilizing if people are, if there's not basic civility. So some of these just basic norms that we might've ruled out as annoying or oh, that's just a, a bad day at the office. We're, we're taking these things more seriously. And, and again, not just for, for kind of, it's morally the right thing to do, but it's also financially the right thing to do. Yeah. And I, and I think for companies, they probably realize, look, we're not going to get the best um, employees if we aren't a little bit more flexible. And I think mm-hmm. people have much more power these days um, They and, and confidence as well to, to leave. Because I think if you're good uh, and you have a, a good network, um, it should be relatively easy to find something uh, or f- and find an employer who is a bit more uh, reasonable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's also just, I think, inspiring us to have conversations we weren't having before, right? So before communication in the office is, is something that we're giving a lot of attention to these days. There's historically, you're in some industries, you have these really toxic cultures where people are really aggressive with each other and really competitive. And, and that, okay, that leaves a, a bad taste in our mouths. Or we had these, you know, the pendulum swung too far in the other direction where we saw these kind of, oh, we're, we're a nice office. We treat each other, you know, kindly. So there's almost like this idea that we, we're completely conflict averse and we're not going to talk about anything. But of course, that's almost as bad because then we're not. A, addressing important issues and they're growing and they're festering. And, and so, you know, as I say to companies I work with, that the kind thing to do is not to stay silent, is, is to often address these, these difficult topics, but do so in a way that's, um, that's civil. So, I, yeah, I think there's, there's important conversations happening um, in the workplace now that maybe were either handled very aggressively or, or weren't handled at all because we were worried about, um, about a complex situation. And I think that's only a, a, a healthy dynamic. Yeah, and, and I think sort of going on from that, this whole idea of having more honest conversations, because, you know, I totally mm-hmm. agree with you, this uh, toxicity, ag- aggression on one hand and, and doing nothing, that you, neither of those are good because, you know, say if you have somebody who's struggling, it could be that maybe they're not, they're not good at their jobs or it could be that there are other issues going on. And if you don't mm-hmm. address that, then you know, the problem you know, uh, continues and then that creates problems with their colleagues. So I think it's just mm-hmm. the whole idea of having honest conversations is so important. But mm-hmm. you know, but in terms of um, you know a more conflict uh, occurring from you know having these honest conversations, how, how do you think you know we should manage this and 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 the emotions that come up um, with with having those conversations? Right. Well, I think there's actually a, a reframe around how we view conflict. Right. So I think most of us are somewhat to very conflict averse. Um, and so we think about conflict, we think about aggression, we think about it being very combative, we think about winners and losers, and, and, and it just, it brings up a really negative connotation in our minds. And what I, what I like to do is when I speak with um, corporate clients is, is to talk about reframing conflict is inevitable, we're going to have it, there's so many situations, right, you're, you're hiring people, you're firing people, you're talking about uh, compensation, you're talking about where to allocate resources, you're talking about, there's going to be conflict, people have different values, they have different interests. So conflict is inevitable, it's how we uh, address it. And actually, if it's approached 
um, constructively, we can get a lot of information about each other. And I can learn what's important to you, Harsh. I can learn what your priorities are, what your values are, what your boundaries are. You can learn about me, what's important to me, what are my needs, what are my values, um, what are my boundaries. So again, uh, this reframe that it's it's inevitable and it can be constructive. But as you say, uh, conflict can bring up some some emotions, some uncomfortable emotions, right? So anger or sadness or frustration, and we need to think about, okay, um, there is room for emotions in the workplace. They give us important information. So let's use anger, for example, because that's one that often scares people uh, a lot or they try to avoid. They think it's a destructive emotion. And and I'll say anger actually gives us some pretty useful information. It notifies us that someone's, you know, that our values or our boundaries aren't being respected. So, but the important thing, what do we want to do with this anger, right? We don't want to necessarily just act from that place, act aggressively from that place. So when we think about working with difficult emotions, we'll say, okay, I, I recognize I'm angry here. First important thing to do is pause, like I said, and not respond from that place. And often our, our bodies give us some really important physical cues. So you can start to get used to what yours are. Is it a is it a beating heart? Is it sweaty palms? Is it feeling a little bit shaky? Okay, that is your cue to pause and not act from that place. First order of business is to to calm yourself down. And as we get very practiced with this, it might just be a few breaths. But early days, it might be just saying, you know what, um, this is a really important topic, and I want to give some thought to it. So I'm going to take a bit of a breath, but come back to this. So giving ourselves time to pause to cool down a bit. So that we're not responding from a really emotionally hijacked place. So that's that's the first order of business. Just pause, calm down, and and then tune in. What, what's really important to me here, and how do I want to behave in a way so that I can get those needs met? Um, so yeah, that's those are some ideas about manage the emotions first and separate them from the behavior. And make sure that we're not acting up from a, an emotionally hijacked place. I just love that, Kelly. And I think that, you know, those are some uh, really interesting points coming, coming out of that. So, you know, just talking about the, the role of emotions um, in that conflict situation, because mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I, 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 you know, when I've been in those situations, mm-hmm. you can get quite sort of worked up and stressed out mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you're not you know, thinking straight sometimes. Yeah. So how, how do you, you know, are there any sort of things for, for managing that? So as we talked about, the first thing is just notice that you're worked up, notice you've been hijacked um, and taking that pause. Yeah. Taking that pause to regulate the nervous system. And then after that pause, it's just getting a little bit clear. So this is what's important to me. And how do I want to behave so that this can be heard and understood? It's just common sense that if I go at someone aggressively they're going to defend, right? They're not going to be able to hear me. They're going to be so concerned at defending themselves. And they're going to be so fixated on how out of line my aggressive behavior is. So that's the real tragedy of acting out of, say, anger aggressively is our really legitimate human need and request can't even be heard because the person on the receiving end is too busy either defending themselves or pointing out how out of line your behavior is. So again, just really kind of um, enlightened self-interest here. I'm angry. I have a reason to be angry. My boundaries have been violated. My needs haven't been addressed. But how am I going to present this to the other party so that they can understand it? There's a great framework from um, Constructive Conflict, which is one of these manuals that a lot of HR 
people uh, stick with. And it's, it's kind of getting clear up front. What do I want for myself? What do I want for the other person out of this interaction? Because often that's a missing piece, right? We get so caught up in the world of me, 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 that we forget there's another person we're in relationship with. So what do I want for this other person out of this interactive interaction? Excuse me. What do I want for the relationship, right? What's a good outcome from this conflict? And, and how do I behave in order to achieve that? And I think if we take the time to, to again, get out of our emotional um, hijack, calm ourselves down and ask ourselves a few basic questions that just facilitates a really rich, open communication. And we're able to be hurt, right? Because again, the, the other person's not so busy defending or calling out how aggressive our behavior is. They can, they, they're able to hear us. Yeah, and I, I love that point you make about you know trying to look at the other person's perspective because mm-hmm. I think as, as you're saying, we we always look at you know what's in what's in it for me. I want to have the best outcome, mm-hmm. but actually by looking at it from their perspective, you might be able to pick up on things that you know maybe you're doing something to trigger them. Maybe there's something you're definitely on. doing something. Yeah. First of all, you're definitely here's where some of the tactics from couple counseling come in handy, even in the the corporate offices, because relationships are co-created by definition. And by definite or default, we all get fixated on how wrong the other person is. And if they would just clean up their act, then everything <laughs> would be great. So no, 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 no. This keeps us stuck. What I say to my couples and what I say to my kind of corporate couples <laughs> is start from what am I doing here that's provoking this reaction <laughs> in the other person, right? The other person is not the devil. You might be seeing a devilish side in them, but why is the devilish side showing up? It isn't it just showing up <laughs> on its own, right? So let's turn the tables. Instead of pointing the finger at the other person, what am I doing that makes me a little bit tricky to be in a relationship with right now? And can I own my part in it? And can I address that? Because that's how we can get unstuck. We can move things along. If we're, if we're improving how we show up in relationships, whether personal or professional, then maybe the other person will show up a bit differently. And if they're not, and they're still showing up in a way that seems out of line to us or is, isn't you know, respecting our needs or our boundaries, then how do we call that out in a way that's respectful and civil so that we could be heard? Oh yeah, no, brilliant. Just, just, just love, love those points. And, and sort of moving on from the whole sort of conflict thing mm-hmm. uh, to more of a sort of a career perspective. Mm-hmm. Obviously you've, you've made a, a career change, which has gone sort of you know, fantastically well. Um, I mean, what sort of advice would you give uh, for people um, looking to make that move apart from the stuff you've already touched upon? Mm-hmm. I'd say start with where you are and what changes you can make immediately, even if it's within your existing role, within your existing organization. So often we get, you know, we think this doesn't work. I need to jump ship without getting really creative about what we can change in our existing roles or or organizations. So I'll give you an example, a a client who came to me looking to make a similar move. So she was um, in law and she wanted to move to some kind of coaching And in the end, she started exploring, she did some training on the side, but she started bringing some of her new tools around well-being coaching to her existing law firm. And long story short, she's now kind of a head of well-being at the law firm. She didn't need to leave the firm. She was able to use new skills and, and talents and new opportunities within the existing organization. And I've seen that happen time and time again, whether it's a complete change of role within the same organization, or even if it's, you know, just I've decided I don't want to do this aspect of this job anymore. People moving from, you know, finance to HR or from sales to marketing, like 
can we start asking, you know, I'd like to work for someone else, or, or maybe I need to layer in some more of a certain activity into our, our existing role. There's a lot of goodwill we have in the companies we've worked with, particularly if we've been doing it for a while, and just, you know, not to leave stones unturned in, in the existing organization, I guess, is one thing. It also just makes the day-to-day more enjoyable, right, if we're changing things up and trying to incorporate more of our interests in our existing day-to-day. So that's that's one. Um, if we've decided that we do want to make a shift, I say avoid or certainly don't rely exclusively on the familiar channels. I have a lot of people who come to me and they're like, oh, I'm looking at all the LinkedIn job you know, adverts. I've gone to all the headhunters and like, yeah, you and every other job seeker in all over the world, right? And so I, um, I suggest people approach their search like they're an investigative journalist trying to figure out what's what's next for me, right? And so kind of there might be some some themes or some questions or some industries that you know get you excited where you you feel quite energized and so seek out the conferences seek out the periodicals seek out the webinars um you know the the people who are doing the interesting work in those fields and maybe going to their talks or shoot them an email i you know i saw that article you wrote on xyz here's what i think on xyz and and, and not relying necessarily on official job posts because uh, I can't tell you the number of people I've worked with who've either they've created jobs for themselves um, or, or they found jobs that weren't posted by going through the, the unofficial channels. So again, just getting a bit creative with it is, is, is a pretty important thing to do. Another thing, I think a lot of people get stuck because they don't know where the process is going to end. I'm not sure what I want to do. So I don't, I'm just, I'm just going to think about it a lot and, and get more stressed that I'm not, I don't know what I want to do. And they, they think that by taking action that commits them to a certain path. And I say, it's only by taking these actions and getting more information that we have more information that will help us figure out what we want to do, right? So, so take the action, go to the interview, go to the industry conference, go, you know, call someone and ask for some information. You're not committing yourself to any path. You're, you know, you take the course, you decide, actually, it's not as interesting as I thought. So you wasted, you know, a few hours on a course or, or maybe in a few weeks on a course. But we need to be bringing more information in rather than just trying to figure it out on our own in the same room we've always been in behind the same screen. We can't just think our way through to, to what the end goal should be. Um, and then finally, just something I referenced earlier, I think people can get stuck by fearing they won't make the right decision as if there's only one right decision. So let yourself off the hook. There's a there's a lot of ways to get to a, to a a good next place and um, and it's not just one route. So so be a bit open and be a bit flexible. Yeah, and I, I think there's some you know, great points that you made there, Kelly, about you know doing the research because actually mm-hmm. there aren't that you know, many amazing jobs out there um, which just are amazing right from the beginning. You have to go out and find them, and and actually uh, by educating yourself, you'll figure out you know, what is it you want to go into or what are the more interesting things uh, because mm-hmm. there are so many different sort of niches you can go down. So I think mm-hmm. without doing the research and without speaking to people um, and actually without taking some sort of action, I mean, say with this podcast, I never thought I would have got to 30 episodes when I started, mm-hmm. but you know, I enjoyed doing it. It seemed fun, have great guests like yourself. Mm-hmm. So it always makes a, a difference. And I think un- unless you make step these- Step by step. Yeah, episode totally. By yeah. Episode. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And, and you're just Absolutely. trying to make the best content you can. 
Yeah. And also not needing to present ourselves as the all-knowing expert. I think actually play the student, play the newbie, you know, be humble. Actually, I think that I remember when I moved to London and I was um, I was a new retail analyst at the time. I had never done retailers before. Um, certainly all the companies, I never knew Marks and Spencer coming <laughs> from um, New York or Next. These, you know, I just didn't know these companies. And I actually think it was a real asset for me to, to be able to play the newbie and say, I've I'm the new kid on the block. I don't know anything. So, and I hear you're an expert at this. And so, you know, tell, I'd love to sit down with you and and pick your brain a little bit and bring some perspective. Of course, you can't just expect someone to download on you. You have to have done your homework and what is this person interested in and make sure it's not a one-way street. You're, you're the newcomer, but you're a savvy newcomer who knows what they're interested in and you can bring something to, to the party as well, as it were. Um, but I guess my point is don't be afraid to, to be the newcomer, to be the beginner and hold up your hand and say, I'm just super interested in this. And I know you're a top thinker in, in the sector and, you know, I, this is what I bring um, to the conversation. So yeah, have fun with it. <laughs> Fantastic. So um, Kelly, I know we're coming up, right, coming up to the end mm-hmm. of our time. Are there any sort of final thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? just in terms of, you know, careers or finding new jobs. I, I think we've covered some great ground here, um, but just any final thoughts? Um? I guess um, ending where we started with, you know, some of Rilke's great counsel, which is is taking time in solitude, not looking for the answers externally, sitting in the discomfort, sitting in the uncertainty, I, I think I see, well, I know I see people who are always looking for the next theory or the next framework or the next, you know, they're educating themselves about whether it's mental health theories or career change strategies. There are wealth of information of theory, but they're, they're short on the practice. There's a lot of talking about, talking about emotions and they're so knowledgeable. And I don't mean this to sound disparaging or, or critical. I, I get it because I'm a, a junkie of all these theories too. And I, they're super interesting. But nothing replaces a practice. Nothing replaces, you know, I I did those three buckets I mentioned before of some movement, some quieting the mind, some inspiration, some taking time on our own to stay, to get comfortable in our own bodies, ground ourselves, because it's it's a crazy world out there. And if we don't take this time we're basically operating on, on in chronic stress, chronic high alert. We can't live at ease, like let alone do our best thinking. So nothing to me replaces prioritizing, taking that time um, to take care of ourselves. Fantastic. Um, and, and Kelly, one last thing. Normally I like to offer my guests a chance to give a shout out to somebody who's helped them in their career. Is there anybody you'd like to thank? Or um, Oh, my God. Goodness, there's so many, but I'm going to do the first one that comes to mind, right? There's this professor, Professor Robert Bontempo at Columbia Business School. So here I was, I was quite so excited with all the finance and accounting. I was a big finance geek and he was, he was teaching something that was called managing human, human behavior. And I think I was quite dismissive of the importance of that. And and even at the time, I think he overheard me in the hall talking quite (laughs) negatively about his class. So, and he brought it up in the next class, four of all whores. And he said something to me that not only was so humbling, it was so true. He said, you know, Kelly, 
these DCFs and all these valuation tools, any monkey can do that. <laughs> what I'm teaching you is how to manage human beings. And that is a life skill. And that's harder than all of this. And here I was beat red for you know, <laughs> caught in the act, in this, like arrogant 20 something year old. And it was so spot on. And I did actually reach out to him on LinkedIn not too long ago. And he said, I'm a psychotherapist now. <laughs> and, uh, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to him. And I, I've had wonderful professors and mentors along the way. Now I've, I've, all these other names are coming to mind. But doesn't need to be an Oscar speech. So I'll leave it with Bob Montempo. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's fantastic, Kelly. Um, no, thank you obviously so much for sharing your time with us today. Um, and I'll make sure all your details and the examined life details um, are in the show notes so that um, you know, people can reach out to you and find out more about the Super. excellent work that you do. Um, so enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much, Kelly. Thanks. Take Thanks care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such an enjoyable interview. If you would like to listen to more episodes, then please consider subscribing to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Stay safe and look after yourself. I hope you will join me again in the future.